Let us open our Bibles to uh, James, book of James, chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. So James 4, 13 to 17. I'll give you a couple of minutes or seconds, that it, and then we'll, we'll read and we'll pray. Amen? James 4, 13 to 17. And the Lord, and the word of the Lord reads, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a, at such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you, are, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. Also, such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we commend ourselves to you. We commend ourselves to your word. Sanctify us, Lord. Sanctify us with truth. Your word is truth. Lord, we are here gathered as, a, as your nation, as your people, to hear from you. Not the preacher, from you, Lord. Let it not be my logic today, Father. May it be your wisdom being preached. We want to hear from you, Lord. Teach us to be more like your son, Jesus. Lord, allow us to account our future as nothing in regards to ourselves and our desires, but to see the glory of your son and his kingdom come. Yes, Lord, come. Redeem us. Glorify us in you, Christ. We wait for you and your second coming. It is in your name, Jesus, our Lord, our King, our Redeemer, that we pray. Amen and amen. Atheist writer and poet, William Ernest Henley, in his most famous poem called Invictus, depicted the essence of a man or woman who in their sinful nature are deeply devoted to their pride. He describes the heart of a person who blamed me defies God's sovereign will. Let me read a snippet of his poem. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Mm. Did you hear that? I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I mean, these words have become the anthem for the godless. It has been celebrated through our movies. Our top university applauded and teach it. It is the heart and core of our society. I only have one master. And that master is me. I am the master of my time. 
my resources, my energy, my mind. I am my own Lord over me. Now, this reveals a heart of pride and self-absorption, absorption, egotistic, self-centered. Worst off, a heart that exalts the will of man over God's. This is precisely what James has been teaching us in, in these previous passages. The sin of worldliness starts with pride. Pride is the root of all evil and all worldliness. It is the chief sin that rules over all sin. As James continues to teach us how to abstain from worldliness and warning us against all pride, today we will see yet another manifestation of pride. And in that it will be exhibited through a neglect of God's will. In other words, we impose our will over God's will. My hope this morning is that today we will learn that if there is a clear mark of a believer, is that a man or woman of God is the one who seeks after God's will. One that commits to God's will. And I've titled today's sermon just that. Committed to God's will. Committed to God's will. Let us go straight to the first point this morning. The prideful man ignores the will of God. And we'll see that in verse 13 to 14. Now the book of James is considered the book of wisdom in the New Testament. So far, James has described for us what a prideful man looks like and what wisdom from above is. Quite different. Again, James is deeply concerned, as any good pastor should, with the spiritual well-being of his people. Now, in verses 13 and 14, he expands on the foolishness of man and how worldliness manifests on, our, on a prideful heart. And we will see in today's message that a prideful man is willingly or willingfully ignores the sovereignty of God. That is the will of God over them. Look at verse 13. Come now, come. You who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. First glance, it doesn't seem like there's nothing wrong with, with this statement. He uses a merchant as an example, as many Jews were merchants and traders and business people, as many of you are here today. He's depicting a man who is planning out his business endeavor. And of course, there's nothing wrong with that. If you're a business owner, you know you have to do have good planning in place. The Bible is full of passages about the principle of planning out our lives, our work, the way we manage our time, our money, our resources. Proverbs is full of uh, examples. Let me give you two. Proverbs 21.5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to what? Poverty. Proverbs 24, 27. 
Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. Planning is a good thing. Preparing is a good thing. As a matter of fact, it's a wise thing. Jesus himself, alluding to counting the cost, said this, For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? It's wise. Clearly, planning is not the problem. It is a biblical principle. And it should be exercised. This is why, as elders, we are implementing a software for all who serve in our church to help us plan our services and scheduling with intention and purpose. It's wise. So if planning is not the issue with this passage, what is the issue? Well, look at verse 14. Yet, you're planning great, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Uh, There seems to be an issue with planning out our lives without consulting the will of God. That is the problem right there. Even more, there is a foolishness to planning our lives without seeking the guidance and direction of God. And that is exactly what pride produces. It turns our hearts into a foolish heart, an arrogant heart. To think that we can plan without God's providence and His consent is a byproduct of a a worldly heart. Think about that this morning. And let's make it clear. James is referring here to believers, not non-believers. To believers. So if you were thinking this must be about unbelievers, it's not. James knows that our hearts are prone to wonder and drift at times towards worldly things. And he's warning us against it. In other words, there is no issue planning your wedding. There's no problem with that. Having a five-year financial plan ahead, not, not, nothing wrong with that. You can plan and choose your college of your liking. There's no sin in applying for that position you so desire. There's no problem with that. As I mentioned, it's a biblical principle. But what must not happen in the life of the believer is to plan out our lives in such a way that we keep God out of it. It is foolish to plan and to think that things will get done out of our own strength, volition, and wits. Look at Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans of the mind of man, but it's, it is the purpose of the Lord what will stand. Well, what about Proverbs 16.9? The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Furthermore, James is about to take it up a notch. Oh, this is not simple. This is not just simple of neglecting God as, as, as we think. We can plan or prepare our lives to our will, but nothing is really guaranteed. Especially because time is against us, is our worst enemy. 
We don't know when our time is due. And we play with time as if we were the masters of it. He says, what is your life, James says. You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Think about that. What an ever-present reality. We live our lives as if our lives were infinite. We're so consumed with amassing wealth, treasure, titles, achievements, diplomas. As if we were able to take it with us to the grave. Remember that parable of the rich man who was so consumed with amassing wealth and protecting it? Remember that? His priorities were centered on the finite things of life. He wasn't aware that his time was up. Even when he achieved his life's dreams and foolish thinking that he, 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 he thought that his heart was content. Look at what God said to that man, to the foolish man. Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, who will they be? Who will take it? Who would inherit it? You fool. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be accounted as a fool with my time. How many times out of mistrust for the Lord, out of ignorance, we act like the foolish rich man. We're so consumed with us on our will, our own heart desires, that we always miss the mark. We miss our purpose in life, which is to fulfill God's will for us. Not my will, God's will. And when we do miss the mark, doesn't matter how successful we are, how wealthy we are, how good things are going. Our souls hurts every time we seek to fulfill ours rather than the Lord's. Most of our anxiety, worries, cares, fearfulness are a byproduct of our pursuit of our own will and desires. Writer Khalil Gribben said this, Our anxiety does not come from thinking about the future, but from wanting to control it. And I agree wholeheartedly with the statement. I would add that the most, that most of our anxieties come from replacing our will over God's. In other words, when we construct our own kingdoms over God's kingdom, And consequently, it is foolish or folly to ignore God's will, James says. It's arrogance. And by doing so, we're wasting valuable time. I love that James always points, points us to our finality versus the loftiness of God. In other words, time for us is but a blink of an eye. If you have children you are aware of this serious reality. My son Nicholas is a year old. I blinked, and he's walking and kicking a ball. 
a few more blings, and he'll go to school. Three more blinks, and he'll be graduating college. Another blink, and he'll go off with his own family. And a few more blinks, and I'm gone from this earth. At its core, James is telling us, why waste the little time you have with things that are not pointing us to eternity? In other words, don't waste your time. Make it count. John Piper said this. Desire that your life count for something great. Long for your life to have eternal circumstance or significance. Want this. Want it. Don't coast through life without a passion. I would add, don't coast through life without godly passion. What a great reminder of our feebleness and our frailty. It keeps us rooted. It keeps us grounded. Our minds are prone to wander and focus on things that are not important. Really are not that important at the end. There is wisdom in having uh, uh, that thought ever present. That we are only but vapor, mist, fog, steam. That is easily blown by the wind. What thoughts? This ought to move us not to hold on to life, our desires so tightly. Because God can easily override our plans. And beloved, that is a good thing. Because if we follow our desires... Most likely to lead us to damnation, destruction, pain, you name it. And worst off sin. It is good to render our control of the future to the one who plans, whose plans are perfect. When we understand and embrace our human limits, we start to realize how truly dependent on the Lord we are. And in doing this, we render our control by doing, by doing this. And by doing this, we release all stress and anxiety that comes with having control. And yet, it's unrealistic control. In Christ, you have freedom to plan. Plan your finances. Plan your move. By the second home, all these things are permitted and blessed by the Lord. But what must not happen is to keep these things as our priority. James is doing an excellent job at reminding us how to keep our priorities straight. He isn't being a pessimistic downer. He's not nor denying the value in planning and having a continuity plan, but he compares our feebleness versus God's very being. Who are you to trust? Because this is what it actually boils down to. Where are we depositing our trust? Is it in yourselves? Or an infinite God? And better yet, an infinite holy God. James is alluding that often. 
that we trust our finite capabilities more than the infinite mind of God. Think about it. What a contrast. On one hand, we easily deposit our dreams, ambitions, and desires on ourselves. We bank on ourselves. We root for ourselves. I mean, and sometimes we fail. And most likely, a lot of the times, we fail, don't we? And when we do fail, we fall into anxiety, depression, and all sorts of evil things. In the other hand... We have an infinite being, a holy God, a mind that transcends time and space. And He is asking us to trust in His plans rather than ours because only in His you find true peace, true joy. Only in His plans we find out why we were created in the first place. Isaiah 55, 8 to 9 says, this is God speaking. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways are my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's clearly a trust issue. Who do we believe God to be? In addition, although the context is a message for believers, I believe it renders some incredible truth about salvation also. James is not merely preoccupied with the mundane life, although he is. No, he is worried about the vertical, uh, no, he is worried about the vertical aspects of our lives, the spiritual things. This is the call to the gospel. It is a clear message that James is saying to all that are listening. Your life is nothing. Take account of your life and see that every breath you take is leading you to your last. Death will come to us all. The sting of death will be felt. But there is hope. That same infinite God who is not bound by space-time continuum became a man, the Christ, Jesus. Jesus is and was God's only plan for humanity. That is the plan we are ought to pursue. In our frailty and weaknesses, we fell from grace. We ate from the forbidden tree. God's plan before the ages began was to have his, die, his Son die on a tree for us. Do you see that? On the tree is when we, lo- we fell from grace, but on the tree is when we were made whole again. That was God's plan. Christ dies on a tree, restoring our place with God. Restoring our foolishness and our pride of making our plans higher than His. In Adam, we thought our plans were better. In Adam, we neglected God's will for us. In Christ, we are made whole again. In Christ, our sins are forgiven. In Christ, we find purpose for our lives. 
James is saying the best thing you can do with your fleeing life is put your trust in Christ and believe. Point number two. The wise man commits to the will of God. Verses 15 to 17. On the second part of this sermon, James focuses on the wise person. Look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live to this or that. This is the heart of a person who has believed in the gospel. It is the mark of a believer. A truly repentant heart is one that commits to the will of God. Think about that. David understood this when he said, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. James continues to say in verse 16 that any other desire to do, any other desire to do God's will is, is arrogance. It's arrogance, it's pride, boastful. And ultimately evil. Look at verse 16. As, as, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. In other words, any other boasting that is not in God's will, it's sin. The Greek word used for boast is kauhamai, which means to be loud-mouthed. Or to have a pretentious attitude towards one's own achievements. Boasting. Like King Kong. Right? It is a deliberate attitude and celebration towards our own volition. Because we love the Savior, but we don't like the Lord over us. We love Jesus as Savior. But man, Lord, that's hard. In other words, we act as if we were our own bosses, the captains of our lives, fully in control. But instead, James teaches that in action and words, we should always consult and commit to the will of God. In action and word. So how do we commit to, the, to God's will? Well, James just alluded to it. In everything that we do, we commit ourselves to the Lord first and foremost. He's not in second place. He's not a secondary consultant. He's primary. You can have your plans, but make sure that God is consulted first. Not only as an individual, but also as a family. If you're a parent or a head of a family, Teach your family to honor the Lord in their thoughts, time, desires. Let your children hear you say, if the Lord wills. Paul was a great example of this. In his book of Acts, he said, I, re I will return again to you, God willing. Paul wanted to. He desired it. But he knew. It was all up to God. Or in 1 Corinthians 4, 19. 
I will come to see you shortly if the Lord wills or the Lord permits. See, we may even have good intentions in our desires for the future. Let me give you an, an, an example. We, we may want to relocate cities because Miami is too expensive. It's a reality. That's all I hear in Miami. Oh, we've got to leave this town. It's too expensive. I get it. The price of everything has skyrocketed. I get it. Maybe there are less opportunities today than before in Miami, right? I get it. But is it God's will for you? Have you considered if there are sound churches near your new potential home? Is that, was that your first thought? Or was just the thought of escapism? Escaping. As if God were not in control over your life. As if God could not provide. Even in the worst circumstances. I get it. Have you consulted your elders? Have you considered them, uh, consider your local church to pray for you? And this is precisely what James is saying. We are at times more concerned about our own desire than God's will for us. It's easy to be consumed with our desires and our goals and ambitions and how to meet them. But is this God's uh, will for our lives? As I said before, it goes beyond our wanting to fulfill our desires. It goes beyond our pride and arrogance. Beloved, when we blatantly ignore God's will, we sin against God. And that for you and me, that to be on the top of our priorities. Look at verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is what? Sin. Doesn't get any more grievous than this. This is the heart of, of the book of James. He's giving us a series of tests when we can take measure of the genuineness of our hearts, of our faith. It is not a simply profession of faith with lip service, but it is a complete surrender to Christ's lordship over us. As I said before, we love the Savior, but do we want the Lord over me? Do we want to adhere to our Lord's command, His will? Let me tell you something. Our personal relationship to Christ or with Christ, as I said before, is not only comprised of, of personal time with the Lord in prayer and His Word. Yes, it's part of that. It is that. But although this is a crucial and important, Jesus said this Himself. Whoever does the will of God, He is my brother and sister and mother. The pursuit and commitment to God's will is a reflection of how high we hold Christ in our life. It's not just lip service. It's not just coming to Sundays. We cannot say we have a relationship with Christ if we're not willing to surrender our desires, our most intimate longings and aspirations over Christ's will over us. We hold on too tightly. 
Nothing summarizes more clearly the character of a genuine believer than a desire to do the will of God. Look at what David said in Psalm 143.10. Teach me to do your will. You are my God. It didn't say, I'll do, you know, I do my will. I'm my own God. It doesn't say that. So you want to do the will of God. Simple. Start with Scripture. Look at what David said. Teach me how to do your will. We're not born. We're not, it's not innate in us to do God's will. As a matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. We want to do our will. But David says, teach me. And how does God teach you? Scripture, the Bible, prescribes perfectly the will of God for you. We don't have to be second guessing. We don't have to guess or wonder what God's will is for our lives. You know, I've often heard believer, believers asking and praying for God's will over them. Who should I marry? Uh, uh, simple. Marry a believer. Start there. The Bible says that for you. Prescribed. Starts with Scripture. And it starts with what God has prescribed for you. But therein, it's not, it's not that simple. There are things that God doesn't prescribe for us. How do I know then, that then if, if I'm doing God's will? Good question. Look at Romans 12, 1, 2. Here lies the answer. You may not know what God has prescribed on your everyday mundane life. Uh, you know, I need to take that decision there, but I don't know. Well, he says here, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What comes next? That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Worry about worshiping God first and everything else will be added to you. Worry about the kingdom first and everything else, everything else will be added to you. Not some things, every, everything else, even your heart desires. In other words, be committed with God's will. That is already prescribed in Scripture. And everything else God will give you discernment with. That is a promise. Whatever it may be that is worrying you, has you afraid, is consuming you with pressure or anxiety, God will make a way. God will answer and He will supply. Our main concern should be to worship God with all that we are, heart, mind, and soul. Let me give you some guidance. Theologians categorize excuse me, the will of God. This might help you understand the different wills of God and how we, we, can, we can do them. We can fulfill them, pursue them. The first will of God is the sovereign will of God. That is, that God in His sovereign will has 
foreordain a plan to save people for his own purposes and delights. If you don't know the Lord this morning, this ought to be your priority. Are you saved? Ephesians 1, 3-6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing and in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the what? foundation of the earth, before time began, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Him as sons, through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of whose will? My will? No way, Jose. His will. To the, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which he, was, he has blessed us in the Beloved. His will is that people come to repentance. And if you're not saved today, that should be your priority. This God's will, this is God's will that a multitude of people be saved and come to the knowledge of His Son. Second, another will of God is the preceptive will of God. This is the will that God has already prescribed or precept found in the Bible. For example, the Ten Commandments. With the principles of loving God above all else and your neighbor as yourself. Are we preoccupied with loving well? This is commitment to God's will. Thirdly, we find the preferential will of God. This describes God's attitude or disposition towards something. These are commandments for God's church which pleases the Lord. For example, we know that God is pleased with His people practicing mercy, forgiveness. He delights in His people when they practice the love one another. He is pleased when we put into practice our gifts for the edification of the church. To be thankful in everything. To pray to God in every circumstances. Does this describe you? It's a fair question. Does this describe me? Lastly, the directive or discerned will of God. These are the will of God that the Holy Spirit aids us with. Not talked about a lot, the Holy Spirit. These are the matters that may not be fully prescribed in Scripture. But we need guidance in. Are you praying to the Holy Spirit to guide you? In such matters. Beloved, I don't want to make this a checklist sermon. I don't. Almost done. I promise. The point of this sermon is to remind us that if we call ourselves believers, we are not the captain of our soul. We are not the master of our time. We are always reminded by the gospel that we will fall short. Even as we are redeemed and indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we still need a mediator. We are still in need of Christ. We need grace. Because God knows we are weak. 
we may hear this message today, and right after we leave this, the, that, those doors, we start to revert to the fulfillment of our own desires again. Part of our practice. But we thank Jesus, our Lord, for fulfilling God's perfect will in our lives once and for all. But also is the perfect example of submission to the Lord. Look at Hebrews 10, 9 to 10. Jesus fulfills God's will perfectly for us. Then he added, this is Jesus. Behold, I have come to do whose will? Your will. God's will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Beloved, that is grace. That ought to be our ultimate motivation to commit to God's will. That Christ died for our sins. Raised on the third day. Fulfilled the will of God perfectly for us. So that now we may pursue a life of submission and obedience to the Lord. It is finished. Tetelestai. He did it for us. He empowers us. It's out of thankfulness that we serve our Lord for what He has done for us. Amen? Conclusion. Short conclusion. I pray that that will be the heart of everybody this morning. I pray that we are thankful for what Christ has done in us, given us, the, the fruit of the Spirit to seek after God's will. I started this morning with a poem. I'm going to finish with another poem. So you can see the difference. In contrast of the first one, may this one inspire us to commit to God's will and to have His kingdom come and His will be done. Christian author Adeline A. Pollard wrote her fa famous hymn, Have Thy Own Way, Lord. It reflects the desire of every true Christian. Have Thy Own Way, Lord. Have Thy Own Way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will, while I am waiting, yielded, and still. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is your will that we seek. We seek, Lord, you, you are our Lord after all. Even if we are faulty, we are feeble, or we need you. This is why we need reminders, Lord, through your word, Lord, that, that we need you, Father. Lord, I pray, Lord, that today's word has not been preached in vain, that the Holy Spirit works in a, you know, such a way in uh, your people's heart, some for repentance, some for encouragement. And there's a soul here, Lord, that does not know you. I pray that the word has taken a hold of their hearts. Lord, remind them who is truly in control. Who truly is God of God? Who truly is Lord and Savior? And is the same Lord that that person needs. Because without you, Lord, there's nothing. There's complete void, darkness. Lord, you have come to bring us peace. And I pray, Lord, that today, through your word, you give us outstanding peace, Lord. Only, the only peace that could come from you. Lord, I pray for your people this morning. 
May they have been edified through this message. Lord, and this is not about the messenger, Lord. This is about you, the message. You are our Lord over our lives. You are the captain of our souls. You are the captain and master of our time. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for coming down as one of us, showing us that we cannot do it on our own. Only you, the Holy One. Only you, there's hope. There's life everlasting. Father, hear us. Help us as we continue our week. May we commit to your will. May we continue walking in your ways. Hold us. Continue to edify us, sanctify us. In your word, Lord. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.